When you're struggling with your mental health, the world can seem pretty heavy, like no one understands what you're feeling or you're not sure how to ask for help. But here's the real truth. You're never in this alone. 988 Lifelines trained crisis counselors are available 24-7 to offer the help and support you need to make it through. No judgment, no stigma, just someone to listen. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-IN-CRISIS-LIFELINE, day or night, 988. Hope has a new number. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Well folks, it's been a week, from more balloons to another Republican wannabe announcing for president. Lots going on, and we'll get to a few more of your reader questions. Alex, where should we get started? Definitely gotta start with, like you said, the MAGA Republican wannabe, and there's a reason we're calling her a wannabe, but Joe, Nikki Haley just announced she's running for seeking the GOP nomination for president. On Valentine's Day. And uh, hours after a mass shooting. Uh, which is pretty yeah. horrible timing. I think she actually went a day early. They dropped the video ahead of when she said she was going to announce. Um, but Joe, is there anything to see here or can we just kind of carry on with our days? Well, first of all, on the mass shooting thing, I don't think she gave a damn. They didn't think it was bad timing. It's tough to see how she becomes relevant at all. You look at all the polls. It's like Trump, you know, in the 40s, DeSantis is in the 30s. And then there's her and you know a whole bunch of others like getting two, three, four points. And even if she could consolidate all of that, all the other stuff, which I don't think she can, she'd still be in third place. So I just don't see any of this stuff, um, particularly like her announcement. I mean, she's, she's kind of straddling, you know, she didn't mention Trump's name, obviously. You know, I think her, her thing about, uh, you know, mandatory cognitive test for Every politician over uh, over 75 was like too cute by half. I mean, look, I think a whole lot of people, including me, might think that we should have a cognitive test for anybody running for office at any age to make sure their marbles are all there, particularly given who the Republicans, the MAGA Republicans in the House um, and, you know, the crazy caucus might be good to test them all. But I mean, I just think it's a really actually kind of an announcement out of the 1990s. Even the, it hurts more, you're wearing heels. It's like a, a 1990s kind of joke, I, I think. It didn't, the whole thing kind of seemed robotic, didn't it? It was almost like it was autopilot. I'm just talking about the message, exactly your point, the heels thing, the timing, everything. It was kind of like someone decided four months ago, damn it, we are going today and we are doing this and we are saying this and we are not going to look at anything else. Yeah, but that's what I meant about it's kind of blind ambition. It's about seeking power and nothing else. No policy, no, you know, all of it kind of jingoistic buzz. Let's do cognitive tests to all of it without, by the way, mentioning Trump. I just think it was, you know, pap. It was just exactly what I would have expected Nikki Haley to do. Uh, you know, Stuart Stevens wrote a great piece uh, from the New York Times showing that she's just another symptom of the moral rot of the Republican Party. I mean, you should include that in our show notes because I think he hit it right on. He really uh, captured what she's really about. But I think ultimately comes down to her just not mattering much while Trump is out there. I do want to hit the cognitive test thing. It was pretty funny. You saw Ted Cruz try to straddle the same line. I think he said this week something like, Joe Biden's too old to fill out his term. And then they asked about Trump, who's older, 
And he said, that's up to the voters. I think a cognitive test on him would, would you know, maybe we should do it for all, all, all senators and, and members of Congress. I mean, again, given the crazy caucus and how they've all, you know, just basically fall in line and do anything that the, their, their base or Trump pushes them down to do, they'll do it. And there's nobody who has any, you know, who's got any courage to stand up. Certainly she doesn't. I mean, she's, she's going to play straight into it. And that's the problem. You're going to have all these candidates both trying to keep the Trumpist happy with them at the same time trying to somehow outmaneuver Donald Trump just doesn't make any sense. And I think, you know, she's, she must be trying to bet that she's going to win South Carolina somehow uh, and then pray for momentum. But it doesn't make sense. That is it's just crazy. And the other interesting thing, though, is like, I think it was Politico. There's a bunch of different stories now about how she could slip through. They're out of their minds. No one's going to slip through. And no matter who, it's the same thing. She, so, okay, somehow she gets past DeSantis. Somehow she gets past Trump. Somehow she gets the nomination. What the hell is that going to be worth with, because uh, it's a standard joke on this podcast, but Donald Trump is not going to stand there at the convention and hold her hand in the air or run as her vice and president. And no one else seems to yeah. be like it's it, that's what bugs me, right? No one is getting that. It's so obvious. It's the obvious storyline. How the hell are you going to pull this party together after you defeat DeSantis and Trump, assuming that you could possibly do that? How do you win the general election? How do you hold the party together? Party that's there's a a fight going on within the the Trump wing of the party, um, whether it's DeSantis taking Trump on, whether she and there's not enough other <laughs> in the party to get by either one of them. So I just think, look, it's one of these things where look, Trump's got to be happy she's in. He wants more in. He wants a crowded field that benefits him. And also, you know, when you look at the real rhinos or sane Republicans or whatever you want to call them, like Larry Hogan, if you're a Republican who who wants that, there are much better people than, than Nikki Haley, like Larry Hogan, who are going to peel off. So she's not going to get those votes. They've got better people to choose who didn't, you know, bow and curtsy to Trump like she did. Ooh, by the way, Larry Hogan just said he'd bow to Trump if he's the nominee, as we talked about last week. Yeah, he did, but but they'll all say that. Yeah, yeah, but no, but they'll all say that. That's not my point. My point is that if you want um, somebody who actually has a record of reaching across party lines, getting things done, and if you want uh, Trump or somebody whose hateful rhetoric turns you on, that, you know, you've got DeSantis if you think Trump's over the hill or whatever you think. Um, so I don't see see that. The other thing is, you know, frankly, let, let's let, let's like face reality here. The power of Trumpism is driving white male resentment. That's why they're attracted to Trump. Why they're attracted to DeSantis. I'm not sure that 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 mega cult um, base is looking for a woman, uh, looking for the first woman of color to be the nominee of the Republican Party. I think like it, no matter how you look at it, it doesn't make sense. I think she's going to be not relevant. And I, I also think like, yeah, the the whole, you know, we need a new generation. Man, I mean, Pepsi tried that. I just don't think that's where people are right now. In the Republican Party, you know, this is actually a fight between chaos candidates 
and I think steady, calm leadership. I think people are going to side between those two things. I think that's what, in the end what the general election will be. Um, she's neither of those things. I'm sure DeSantis and Trump will, and the mega house will deliver up plenty of the chaos and the choice will be, again, I think you've got a, a mega base that likes the chaos, wants to burn the government to the ground, start over, and is uh, easy to feel their resentment and I'm not sure Nikki Haley can tap into that yep. uh, into well, that energy. You mentioned earlier that I feel like we got to come up with a better word than crazy for this. Because from where I'm sitting, what all of these people, Nikki Haley included, are doing, and every Republican member of Congress right now, it's not crazy. It's very calculated. It's very cynical. It's their... Every single one of them has basically agreed to link arms and jump off the cliff because they think that is their best chance to hold on to power. Like, it's not like a random number generator, right? They're just no, going to try to burn it down and jump off the cliff. But like, they, they're making that decision very clearly. It is a grab for power. That's the only reason she is running, right? She's ambitious. She wants it. And she wants that power. I think the problem here is that, look... We live right now in what I think most Americans believe is a very chaotic world, whether it's Russia invading Ukraine, whether it's the pan coming out of the pandemic and the chaos of the Trump years, the chaos of the Republicans in Congress right now. That's where the, the base of the Republican Party, you know, the mega cult that drives it right now, that's where they want to be. And that's where you're going to have to be if you want to win that nomination. I don't think she can pull that off. I mean, this is actually going to decide whether we continue the stability and getting things done that the Biden administration has, has I think, done an incredible job of over the last uh, two years with a MAGA crowd creating as many distractions and outrages as they can, and they'll continue to do that. I'm just, I just think in the end, the American people faced with that choice again, and which is why I still believe that uh, Biden's going to run. And I think he's going to run much stronger than people think. All, all this whining about, uh, you know, gosh, he's too old. Right? You know what? That came with experience. He's actually been able to use the contacts to hold the uh, um, the alliances together. And And by the alliances, you mean the entire Western world, by the way. Like, do not sell that short. Yeah. Western world, pull them together. There isn't anyone out there, I think, who could have done a better job of that. Creating the jobs creation that, that occurred, you know, three times the number of the jobs or it was an incredible number. Then all three last Republican presidents combined. I mean, there's actually a big story here. It's been sort of cast aside of just how incredibly good a president Joe Biden's been. I think that will be um, what plays out um, as we get further and further into 23 and 24. You're already starting, obviously, the job creation continues. It's still amazing to me. More jobs got created, but, you know, the economy isn't working. <laughs> it's just crazy. Right. I want to put one more nail in Nikki Haley's early coffin. You and I have done entire shows about PRRI data before the Public Religion Research Institute, one of one of the most reputable, reliable, nonpartisan research groups, looking at really kind of some of the demographic factors behind a lot of what's going on in America. 
And I, I just want to point something out. They just surveyed the 2024 Republican primary field, like the voters. Right. And they think that evangelicals will make up at least 40%, if not 50% of the primary electorate. And if you recall in 2016, Trump actually was a little weak there. That was one of his weaknesses. Everything he did as president, he was really, you know, we talked about this on the show during his presidency, moving the embassy. He was really trying to consolidate that base and, and largely did it. And what PRRI found this time around was it's not so much about evangelical versus not, it's about education. So Trump's got like every not, and you mentioned this earlier, Joe, Trump's got like every non-college white voter in the primary base, and they're not leaving him. And the majority of evangelicals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then what happens though, and, and this gets to your split point, Nikki Haley and every other Yahoo running are fighting for like the college educated white evangelicals, less than half of them, and they're just going to fracture like crazy. And it just, I mean, man. No, tr Trump's consolidated that, that base in the party. So Pence gets in and Pence tries to whittle off some of that. I don't think that's going to work, but okay. It's still, in the end, I'm sure Trump wants Pence in too. Right. I mean, I'm sure Trump wants Pompeo in. In fact, I'm, how do we know for sure that, that Trump didn't call Pompeo and say, hey, you need to get in. I mean, it's like, you know, he he's going to outmaneuver and it gets to something else. None of these people have any clue what they've gotten into. A, a presidential campaign is not a run for governor. It's not a run for the Senate. I've been in, you know, year after year, just about every cycle, uh, presidential cycle. I've either been a, been an analyst or a campaign manager or, you know, or a major player uh, in the fight. And I can tell you it, no one is prepared for it. There's no one who, if you haven't done it before and Trump has, you're not, you're, you're just not ready. Um, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, um, Larry Hogan, all of them are in for a rude awakening and their teams aren't ready for it either. And so I think, you know, when you think about the base that Trump's got iron hold on, and, and the other people like DeSantis that will try to fight him for that core. And then what's left to fight over is there's just not a big enough group in the Republican Party. We, we've seen that. They purged most of them, right? Right. Uh, you know, so I just don't think this is going to uh, end well for Nikki Haley. I think like Carrie Lake's more likely to be his VP, so it can't be that she's trying to do that. Yeah. It gets back to what we talked about with Reed. It's Trump or not. And right now, the knot is going in a million different directions. And I'm wondering, and this is just like apropos of nothing, but it's almost like if you really wanted to beat Trump, the best thing to do would be to put one other candidate on the ballot. Not anybody else, just one. And it can't be DeSantis because he's trying to beat Trump, but one person to be, to take all the flack, everything, and then ultimately say, okay, do you want the choice, Trump or not? I am not. And that is all there is to it. And I don't even think that would work. Well, first of all, they'd all have to agree on who the one would be. That's not going to happen either. They're all ambitious, power hungry. <laughs> this is the whole problem with their party right now. There is no policy. There is nothing but resentment, anger, fear, 
play it up and use it to grab all the power you can. And they all think they're the one. So no, DeSantis, you got to get out for me, Nikki Haley. They'll never agree on that. I mean, they're kind of like creating 2016 all over again, right. where, you know, Trump doesn't need 50%. Um, he doesn't need, you know, to, to win these primaries. Uh, he starts with a solid group of, you know, high 30s, low 40s, at least. And none of them are anywhere near him except for DeSantis, who I think one of the things about him, I just think he's not going to wear well over the long haul. First of all, Trump's better at the culture war stuff than, than DeSantis is. And two, there's like nothing there. There's no personality, nothing likable about him. Not, not that there's ever anything likable about Trump, but I mean, even to his supporters, I don't think that's going to wear there's well. There's no... I'm for him because I'm for him. Yeah, because he's going to ban books. You know, the one interesting thing, by the way, because I just, as a total aside, it struck me that, you know, normally, in fact, you might remember this. I remember many Super Bowls, and usually the guy declares, you know, where are you going to go? And he declares, I'm going to Disney World. But Mahomes went to Disneyland. I have no clue. But it's fascinating to me, is there already starting to be some fallout, some cultural war fallout, where what DeSantis has done, what he did with Disney, et cetera, is actually, again, you know, picking fights with the wrong people over time? Because I still don't think the majority of Americans think Disney World or Disneyland is, is you satanic, know, some cultural yeah. grooming, yeah, satanic thing. It was interesting to me that Mahomes... Uh, went to Disneyland in California and not Disney World in Florida, where every other winner of the Super Bowl declared they were going. That's a total aside. And maybe I'm wading into uh, an area I know nothing about um, because maybe, hey, it was closer to where he was going to be or something. But uh, I think it was an interesting thing to see. We've touched on this in previous weeks, but there's a really good listener question I wanted to hop to here. Just, to, you know, the other side, we're talking about the Republicans, but Anna from Washington, and I believe that's Washington State, asks, what do Democrats need to do now to define the battlefield for 2024 and actually go on the offensive? Seems like the last few weeks they've been coming out of their shells a little bit. And before you go, I, you know, we've seen a couple of the response videos. I mean, you see what Jamie Raskin's been doing. You know, some of the, the members, Democratic members of Congress are kind of being a little bit more aggressive, I think, than I remember seeing them being the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think that's because they now understand the contrast that it was the contrast between the crazy chaos of the Republicans and the MAGA versus the strong, steady, get it done leadership um, that Biden and Democrats with a few Republicans were able to get uh, get a lot done. I mean, a, a hell of a lot done. And so, you know, you're seeing that. I agree with you. A lot of the new leadership and the newer members in the House on the Democratic side, I think, are much more confident about taking that on and making that that contrast clear. And then, you know, you saw Joe Biden's State of the Union was another great example, laying out policy, taking credit for the wins, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene interrupting him. And he literally walked the entire Republican MAGA caucus into a, into a blind alley on Social Security and standing up for seniors, you know, and making that contrast really, really clear. And this is why when we were in, when we started talking about this with Nikki Haley and everybody, I think that is going to be what this is about. It's going to, you know, America, we're in this chaotic world 
where everything's up in the air. We either provide the stability to build a better future here at home and abroad, or we contribute to the chaos in this world. And that's what the Republicans and Trump and, and the MAGA House and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, that's what they're about. We're about actually getting things done, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, capping insulin at $35, creating more jobs than have ever been created by any administration, bringing uh, manufacturing of, of silicon chips back to the United States in places like Ohio and Arizona. These are things that Joe Biden and Democrats have done and did it, by the way, with a 50-50 Senate. These would be amazing things to have accomplished if you had a majority in the House and the Senate where you didn't have to worry about the other party and could do what you wanted to do to, to get the country on the right track. That wasn't what was going on. We had a 50-50 Senate with the Vice President Harris breaking ties. And still, when you look at what was actually done over the last two years, despite MAGA, the outrage machine, creating a new outrage every week and a new distraction for the, for the media to follow and ask questions about and amplify. Biden and, and, the, and Democrats did that. And I think that's where there's, there's growing confidence. And, you know, when we were talking about it with Regalen, I think he has it right. If Joe Biden were 45 years old, we'd have a totally different approach and tone. So why not run like he's 45? Look, he's going to run, folks. He's done a better job than anybody could have possibly done to pull us, uh, you know, to build towards the future. The Republicans, you know, have no alternatives on any of the policies. They have no answers other than more resentment, more fear, creating more chaos. And that's where I think this is the choice. You know, it's not about whether there's somebody 45 out there or someone 80 out there. It's, it's somebody is representing the chaos and the disruption that contributes to more chaos or stability, experience, knowing how to get it done, proving every day that Joe Biden and Democrats are going to work for the American people. I think we have to do a better job of addressing real policies on crime, immigration, gun violence. There's plenty that can be done, but not with an obstructionist, chaos-driven house that does not want Joe Biden to succeed. They don't want America to succeed uh, under his watch because that means they don't have power. So they're going to throw up everything but the kitchen sink at him. And we have to be loud and very strong about what we've accomplished, what Joe Biden's accomplished. And it's, we should all be running like he's 45 years of age because he's going to be our nominee. And I keep saying this, I've said this many times on the podcast, everybody in the Democratic Party, look, if Joe Biden is a successful president going into 2024, the nomination, whether he seeks it or not, will be worth something. It'll be worth fighting over or we'll all want, you know, be clear that, yeah, Joe's our guy, which is what the case should be. But to play into the MAGA cult's uh, latest outrage, to be defensive about it and not take it head on and to miss the opportunity to really make the case for what we've accomplished, 
That is a huge mistake that we cannot make. The most common question we've gotten, and I'm going to anonymize you because I don't want Joe to yell at you by name on the podcast that we really appreciate you listening to. I know your reaction because I watched the latest Resolute Strategy session, and I think you were actually fairly contained on that. Here it is. Don't you think it's time to move past all the bickering and unite behind someone who's truly moderate? Couldn't a third-party candidate who isn't Trump or Biden reach across the aisle and start healing the divides? That is the craziest thing I have ever heard. If you want to make sure Donald Trump's the next, you know, is reelected, is elected again to the White House, it's run a third party candidate. And it won't matter what ilk they are. There are people in the Republican Party who don't want to vote for Trump and have a hard time thinking that crossing the divide and voting for the first time for a Democrat. They did it. A lot of them did it in 2020. And we needed every single one of them um, to give those people plenty of independents and probably some Democrats too, to give them a escape hatch where they don't have to vote. This is predominantly in the Republican Party. I mean, it's a predominantly about Trump. They really don't. And, and probably DeSantis, they don't really want to do that. Someone like Biden was able to reach across to them and get enough of them, barely enough in places like Georgia and Pennsylvania to win despite a pretty massive popular vote lead. To risk doing that with a third party candidacy at this time is reckless. By the way, I'm not a opponent of another kind of candidacy in a different year. This was an era where we had two pro-democracy parties that actually believed in voting rights and things like that, but there was policy differences and somebody wanted to run as a third party candidate up the middle and try it. I'm not opposed to that. I just think this cycle in 2024, it would be reckless. I've seen this, you know, we can go back to Ralph Nader with Gore versus Bush in 2000. Mm -hmm. You can even go back to Perot in 92. That actually helped Bill Clinton. The third party this time would be the person that wants it. Remember, we talked about the crowded field thing in the Republican Party helping Trump. It's the same thing. The people who in his party, who Biden and Democrats and the pro-democracy coalition need. And that's the real thing here. This third party is sort of well-meaning people who who still think there's a Republican Party and a Democratic Party. And we've got to, like, you know, offer up something different. No, that's not what this is. This is pro-democracy versus an autocratic authoritarian movement. And if you offer up another pro-democracy candidate as a third candidate, you're splitting up the pro-democracy vote and you're helping the authoritarian movement reelect, put Trump or DeSantis in office. That is crazy. And I will like, you know, keep saying this, mm -hmm. you know, over and over and over again. Do I think it'll help? No. These well-meaning people are going to go try to do this and we should at all times tell them to stop or urge them to come to their senses. It's a naive thing. There's a lot of people in the press corps, there are a lot of pundits who still think there's two parties. There aren't. There's an authoritarian movement and there's pro-democracy and we don't want to split the pro-democracy vote. Joe, I think that was a fairly restrained response and I think an excellent place to end on. Well, uh, thanks, Alex. Thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is now part of Resolute Square. You can find us at ResoluteSquare.com. It's a new force in the fight against the right-wing outrage machine. Check out the latest at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. 
You can always send us a question, and we actually got to a few of them. Uh, actually, multiple people asked that last question. To that trippy show at gmail.com, or leave us a question and a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.